Let us pray. Gracious Father, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Therefore, as we come before your written word, we ask that you would illuminate our minds so that we might understand what you have said and illuminate our hearts so that we might believe what you have said. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. In the past year, as the shadow of COVID has fallen across the world and claimed the lives of over a million people, our culture has been confronted with death. It has been a shock. Over the past century, the advances in modern medicine have enabled us to defer death, and society by and large has enabled us to avoid death. Death is awkward. Death is uncomfortable. We know that it is always there, but we avoid it, and if possible, we ignore it. But in 2020, for the majority of society, death could no longer be avoided, and it could no longer be ignored. The writer of today's passage addresses that very problem, the problem of death. In fact, it is the reason that he wrote his book. He wants us to be saved from death. And that is why in chapter 20, verse 31, John says this, I am writing these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John's primary purpose, his reason for writing, is so that we may have life, life which comes by believing in the name of Jesus. And so therefore for John, the identity of Jesus, who he is, is a central concern for his gospel, because we can only have life in the name of Jesus if Jesus is who John says that he is. So then we had better ask, who is Jesus according to John? He is the light, verse 9, the sun, verse 14, the only God, verse 18, and in today's passage, he is the word. But actually that only raises another question, doesn't it? Which is what on earth do all of those terms mean? Well, the key to understanding each of those terms and therefore what they tell us about Jesus is to realise that they point us both forwards and backwards. They point us forwards because John uses those terms again in his gospel and he expects us to know how he uses them. They point us backwards because John is not inventing these terms, but he is taking them from the Old Testament. If you like, you can think of it like this. John's prologue is like a one-way bridge that connects the Old Testament with the rest of John's gospel. The ideas which John uses originate in the Old Testament and they go from the Old Testament to the gospel through the prologue. And in today's passage, there are two parts of the Old Testament which John is using most of all, Genesis 1 and Isaiah. And so the question for us is this, how does John take us from Genesis and from Isaiah to the rest of his gospel? And in so doing, what does he tell us about Jesus? So first, Genesis 1. 
Now, we know that John is referring to this in his passage because the first few words of the prologue in the beginning are identical to the first few words of Genesis, right? John starts the same way that Genesis starts, and that is deliberate. John wants us to think in terms of Genesis 1. He wants us to think in terms of creation. Well, why? Because Genesis 1 tells us this. It tells us that the means through which God created the world and the means through which he reveals himself is his word. Now, the first point, creation, is obvious. How did God create light or the seas or the skies or the stars? How did he create the birds, the beasts and the fish? Well, all the way throughout Genesis, we see and God said, right? God spoke. He used his word. And that tells us that God's word is prior to his work. And it tells us that God's word is the means of his work. So that we can say in the beginning, before anything else existed and was made, there was God and there was his word. And furthermore, we can say that all things were made through this word. And without this word, not one thing was made that has been made. But if we think about Genesis just a little bit more, we discover that we don't just learn what the word does, but also what the word is like. We don't just discover the activity of God's word, but the attributes of God's word. And there are three attributes that I'd like to highlight. God's word has purpose, it has power, and it is good, right? Purpose, power, and goodness. It has purpose because it specifies, let there be light, right? Not anything else, light. It has power because it accomplishes that purpose, let there be light, and there was light, and it has goodness because that purpose which it powerfully accomplishes is good. God saw that the light, that it was good. Now, the point is this. Those are not merely descriptions of God's word, but of God himself. It's obvious, really. If God's word has power, it tells us that God has power. If God's word is good, it tells us that God is good. And if God's word produces an abundance of living creatures such that creation overflows with life, then it tells us that God's word is a living word spoken by a God who is a living God, a God who has life in himself. In short, God's word, because it is the exclusive means of God's work, reveals God himself. That means that God's word is not just the means of God's creation, but it is his means of revelation too. So to summarise, Genesis 1 teaches us that in the beginning there was the word of God and that this word shares all of the attributes of God and that this word, as the sole means of God's creation, was also the sole means of God's revelation. God does nothing without his divine word. That's Genesis. There's a lot there. So now to the second part, 
to Isaiah. Now, in contrast to Genesis, I'm just going to make one point here, one hopefully simple point. Isaiah takes what Genesis says about creation and he applies it to salvation. Because for Isaiah, salvation is an act of creation which is patterned on creation. And therefore, Isaiah tells us that salvation, just like in creation, will be accomplished by the word of God. Right? Salvation, like creation, is achieved, accomplished through God's word. Have a look at Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall be my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I want you to pay very close attention to verse 11. So I'm sure that John was paying close attention to it. Here we have a word which goes out from God's mouth, a word which he has sent, a word which has purpose, life-giving purpose, a word which has power. It will accomplish that purpose and a word which, having accomplished that purpose, will return to God. And all of that means that to summarise Isaiah, the word of God, which was God's agent in his work of creation and revelation, is also his agent in the work of salvation. That's the Old Testament that I think John is drawing upon. And so having seen that, the question now before us is, how does John use all of that information to tell us about Jesus and to tell us how we have life in his name. Well, according to John, Jesus is the word of God. In other words, the word is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. We know this because in verse 14, John describes Jesus as the word made flesh. And so this means that everything that we have just learned about the word of God Everything which the Old Testament says about the word of God applies to Jesus, who is the word of God. So now look at John 1 again and look at the first five verses. Right, Verse 1, John tells us that Jesus pre-existed creation. Right? In the beginning was the word. Verse 3, he tells us that Jesus was God's means of creation. Through him all things were made and without him was nothing made which has been made. And he tells us that Jesus is God's means of revelation too. Jesus is the light of man. But more than that, in verse 1, John tells us that just like the word, Jesus, being distinct from God, possesses all of the attributes of God because he himself is God. That's a very big thing. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, we are told that he was with God and he was God himself. 
Now, this does not mean that there are two gods, as if God is a kind of species like cats or dogs or humans, where there can be many instances of the same type of being. No, the Bible says that God is one, both numerically and indivisibly. But it does mean that within the indivisible unity of the one God, there is a distinction in the persons of God. And this is the truth that undergirds the theology of John and the theology of salvation. Because the distinctive work of the three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, whether in creation or revelation or salvation, is an indivisible work because the three persons are indivisibly one God. Right? The Son always does the Father's work because it is the one work of the one God. And finally, the last point which I think John makes about Jesus. By calling Jesus the word of God, John is preparing us for the rest of his gospel. He is preparing us for the salvation which Isaiah spoke about. Now, if you look at Isaiah 55, 11 again, hopefully on your screen, you will see that it is actually a summary of John's gospel. In John, Jesus is the word whom God has sent. He is the word who accomplishes the purpose of the one who sent him, the life-giving purpose. And finally, having accomplished that purpose, having brought it to completion, having succeeded in that purpose, Jesus returns to the one who sent him. In other words, John is not just saying that Jesus is God's agent in creation. Right? The word is not a passing reference, but it's programmatic for John's gospel. Jesus is God's agent in creation. And also as God's agent in creation, he is also God's agent in salvation. Because Jesus as God is the one through whom God accomplishes all of his purpose, his life giving work. And that means that you can have life by believing in the name of Jesus and only in his name. I think I can probably hear you asking, what is the application of that? That is a lecture. Now, I know more about Genesis, fine, and I know more about Isaiah, and I know that John must have been awfully clever to have used both of them, but that is not going to help me on Monday morning, right? That's not going to help me with my family. That's not going to help me in my daily battle as a Christian. It's just knowledge, information, facts. Well, we're not told anything to do in this passage, so we need to think how the things we are told will shape our thinking and our lives. And first, there is an obvious point. You can and you do, if you are believing in Christ, have life in his name. And that's because Jesus is who John says that he is. He is the one who has life in himself as God and the one who gives life to creation. And you can have life by believing in his name. But second, this life which Jesus gives you is eternal life. And what that means in John is it's not life of infinite duration, but of complete perfection. It's not just an extension of what you have now, but it is an elevation 
of what you have now. Because the essence of eternal life in John is full and intimate fellowship with God himself. It is to participate in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that eternal, loving life. And it is called eternal because it is the life that belongs properly to the age which is to come. Brothers and sisters, it is that life which you have in Christ. And since that is the life which you have in Christ, that elevated, greater, infinitely better life, then you can afford to lose this life for the sake of Christ. Because what you have now isn't really life. It's not life in its fullness. And so by giving up this life for Christ, the life which you gain in Christ is not just infinitely longer, but it is infinitely better, infinitely more glorious. And finally, connected to that point, this passage should radically redefine your image of your future. Because sometimes I think as Christians, we may believe that the function of salvation is simply to correct the corruption of creation. That is that salvation brings us back to Genesis 1, the time when things were good. But that is not quite right. Because salvation doesn't take creation backwards it takes it forwards. It doesn't correct creation, rather it brings creation to its completion. And I think that is anticipated in Genesis 1 itself. For example, in the beginning, when God created light, there was still darkness. We know this because God's next act was to separate the light from the darkness, and only the light he declared to be good. Now, that doesn't mean that the darkness was bad or that creation was therefore bad, but it does suggest that creation was somehow incomplete, that creation could expect further development. And we know this because when Isaiah talks about uh, salvation and he uses the image of creation for salvation, Isaiah tells us that when God finally saves the world, when he brings about his new creation, there will be no more darkness. Instead, creation will be fully, perfectly and permanently illuminated because God himself will be its light. In other words, as creation comes to its completion, the picture is of the created light being replaced by the uncreated light, the divine light. And in John, that reality is inaugurated by the coming of Jesus, but it isn't fully completed yet. Because Jesus himself is the true light, the radiance of his Father's glory, the uncreated light. And this is the light that shines in the darkness. This is the light which utterly expels the darkness. This is the light which will finally overcome the darkness. And brothers and sisters, this reality which Jesus inaugurated in his second coming awaits in his first coming, awaits its final completion in his second coming. This is the goal that creation is heading towards. And this is what we, you and I, are awaiting. So I want to ask this. Is your hope a vaccine? 
Is your hope returning to life as normal? Is that the good life that you are anticipating, that you're waiting for? If that is so, then that is a feeble picture of your future. Brothers and sisters, John tells us that there is an immeasurable weight of glory which is awaiting us. A time when death will be no more and we shall have life in its divine fullness. A time when darkness shall be no more and we shall have light in its divine brightness. And we shall behold the glory and enjoy the fullness of life which comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because Jesus is who John says that he is. He is God and the one through whom God powerfully accomplishes all of his good purpose. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, grant that by faith in your Son we may know and delight in that perfect life which comes from knowing you, the only true God, through your Son and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen.